I love talking to people and saying, okay, how can we create the space in your life to fill it up with the things that you really do value and the things that are important to you that you really want? This is the Seasonals Podcast, a show where we talk to people living the seasonal lifestyle. We take an in-depth look at the decision points they've encountered along the way. I'm here with Lindsay Little. How are you today, Lindsay? I'm doing great. How are you, Joey? So good to talk to you. I'm doing very well. Doing great, actually. It's good to talk to you, too. It's been, I think it's been quite a while since we've talked, actually. Yeah, I guess maybe the summer, the end of the summer before I left. Too long. Too long. Too long. Too long for friends. So (laughs) where in the world are you? I am actually in a state called Arkansas. Have you heard of it? <laughs> I is is that how it's pronounced? Um, well, most people like to call it Arkansas, but the <laughs> S is silent because we're very proper here in Arkansas, so we I do see, not pronounce the last S. But yes, I'm in Arkansas right now. Most people don't know where that is, so I always have to show them on the map, but yeah, so you can look it up right now. <laughs> I'm in Jonesboro, Arkansas. Uh, this is where I grew up. This is where my family lives. And I now have a house here that I remodeled last year with my dad. So I kind of have a place to land is what people call it. <laughs> yeah, a little uh, roots, set down some roots there. Yes. Oh, a ladybug just now flew on my shirt. <laughs> <laughs> So I get ladybugs in this house. <laughs> so you've got a pet now too. I do. I have a pet. I think it just wants to be a part of this podcast. So we're going to let it sit here. All right. <laughs> so you recently did some tour guiding in Iceland. Tell me about that. Oh yeah, that was wonderful. I work for a company throughout the year and they send me to different countries in the world. And I usually will meet up with a school, like a high school or college, and then I'll show them around the country and go through our our, our itinerary that has kind of been created before. And I also sometimes will work with the itinerary and move things around and make it just a really amazing trip. So (laughs) it was awesome. Iceland is absolutely beautiful. They have volcanoes and glaciers and you've got the ocean of course because you're on an island and hot springs and it's it's like nothing I've ever seen really it's like another planet (laughs) what were your some of your favorite spots while you were there there's one of my favorite spots is called the secret lagoon there's the blue lagoon that everybody pretty much knows about. And it's the one with the really blue waters. Um, They have a lot of those natural chemicals and sulfur and things like that. But the the Secret Lagoon, not as many people know about it. So it's more locals that are there. And it's just like a big open pool in a huge 
field with mountains in the background and it's it's just so amazing and peaceful. That's probably one of my favorite places so far. <laughs> Still exploring. What is what's the process on your side to do the tour guiding? So do you plan it beforehand and then they give you people that go on the tour or do you find the people that go on the tour? Uh well the company I've been working for, they have schools or clients, if you want to call them that, that they usually use this company every year. And the tours are specifically focused on education and science. And we do a lot of service work as well. So we really think it's good for the kids to be able to go into a different culture and be able to do something for that culture or that country or maybe just learn more about them by seeing some of their needs as well. So we may work at um, a homeless shelter or um, food pantry or something like that. So they can get a little taste of what that's like. And this tour company that I work for, I've been working for them really since 2007. So about 13 years. And um, they'll just ask me if I want to do a trip and I'll say yes or no. And if I do it, I start planning and coordinating and taking the itinerary they have and um, and then I start talking with the school that they've already booked on the booked for the trip and getting to know the leaders and teachers and things like that. And then I usually meet them at the location and then we're there for about a week or so. And I take them around the place. So I'm actually going to Hawaii in a few weeks on another trip. I'm so excited. <laughs> Are there, is it just you or are there other guides that you work with? Um, typically, I lead alone. Um, this next trip that I'm doing, though, I, I'm able to take a few friends with me to help drive around the island. And so that's going to be a lot of fun. But most of the time, it's just me and I'm doing it alone. But I love it. I love doing it by myself, too. It's fun. And the itinerary... Does the company come up with that and you're just facilitating, like taking the group spot to spot? They usually come up with the itinerary. It depends on where uh, we go. For example, my boss has done Hawaii for years. So he has a set itinerary that he does um, for the science trips. But we always include some type of adventure some type of education and some type of service work. So those are like the three main things that we do in all of our trips. And then we've also done locations that he hasn't been to. So I, I sort of designed the trip for him. So it just depends. We work together on that though. And we just try to make it. And sometimes we change things. If this doesn't work out, we change it for something else um, to make it the best trip for him as possible. Right. Yeah. It sounds like a great gig. It's a lot of fun. It's hard. I mean, everybody that I tell, I, you know, tell them that I tour guide in different parts of the world, they're like, that sounds like a dream job. And it is. It's a wonderful, wonderful job. And I am so lucky to have it and have been doing it for so long. But there are a lot of parts of it that are very challenging. <laughs> um, yeah, sometimes it just depends on the people you work with or if something was scheduled for the wrong date. And you know, or if something's not quite, I mean, I've had some crazy trips 
in my past (laughs) where it seems like just one thing after another went wrong. And then you have like 50 people that are standing behind you waiting (laughs) for something and you're having to, you know, change the itinerary or problem solve just really quickly and be on your toes a lot, you know? So put out, putting out fires is what I call it behind the scenes. So there's a lot of challenging parts about it, but I think overall, like I'm so grateful for those challenges because I've learned so much over the years and I really feel grateful and so blessed that I get to travel for work. Yeah. I think when you're describing the putting out the fires and having people waiting behind (laughs) you, I'm like, yeah, I've been there. (laughs) Not with that many people, but I know how, how tough it can be. And yeah, to those people that are like, oh, you have a dream job. It's like, yes, but. (laughs) It's also a lot of work and there's a ton of pressure on you while it's happening. Yes. Yes. Like where you feel like you're about to have a heart attack or something and you're like, Oh, I just want to get through this day. Yeah. It's, it's really funny because, uh, did you see the fire festival documentary? Have you seen that? I didn't watch any of the documentaries because companies that were behind the festival got paid to be a part of the documentaries. Oh. So I didn't watch those, but I did hear from other people about it. Interesting. That's really interesting. Well, when I was watching it, it just it I felt a little bit of what they were feeling <laughs> as they're trying to put out all these fires. And honestly like somebody like you or I could have seen that coming way far in advance just because of the preparation, you know, right? the lack of preparation, I guess. So I'm always like double checking, triple checking, quadruple checking things, even before I get to the location, hopefully having less fires to put out. (laughs) Yeah. And in my, the way that I've been able to do it, not for a company, I have the, I can choose who's in my group as well. And usually part of that, that procedure of choosing who I want Mm -hmm. to go with me is if shit hits the fan, I need at least this many people that can handle, you know, whatever happens. Exactly. Cause I mean, part of traveling period is being flexible. It's the F word. (laughs) You gotta be flexible, man. And I feel like the more you travel, the more flexible really you learn to be. And the more it's just, you you just have to learn how to go with the flow. But I remember you telling me that before I went on that trip with you guys and you saying like, almost like, you know, I'm asking you all these questions about, you know, do you believe in the shaman and trust all this, whatever. And then you were like, I'm choosing to take you because I know that you're going to be a good person to come with us. You're going to be a good traveler and you're going to be flexible. And so that, made me really happy. And I, I like that set me at ease sort of, <laughs> cause I also knew you were handpicking other people that would be with us and that you trusted all of us to be good travel companions. <laughs> so I was really grateful for that. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. Have, in my trips, I pick, you know, cause I have friends that have never traveled before that would want to, mm-hmm. and I can't bring a group full of them, but I can right. because I have people that have traveled a lot and have seen some shit that can go <laughs> with us and the whole group will make it a great time. But having yeah. that sort of insulation mm-hmm. as well. Makes yeah. It for, and I, have you checked out issue five of the magazine? I have not yet. I've I got an have... article about the first Columbia trip I took people on oh. and it talks about how I 
pick people for the group. Wow, that's awesome. I need to read that for sure. I will as soon as we get off the phone. (laughs) (laughs) But I've been told it's funny. So Oh, I'm sure it is. You're so funny. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm gonna have to pay you for that one, aren't I? (laughs) (laughs) You're gonna have to what? I'm gonna have to pay you for that that compliment. (laughs) Yes. You're so funny, Joey. Um, no, I don't get to pick my people. So sometimes, and my boss recently told me, he's like, Lindsay, I give you all the, the really hard teachers <laughs> because he's like, nobody else can handle it oh, like no. you. And he, he always tells me that I um, bring uh, magic dust. And if it's a really difficult situation, I just throw my hippie magic dust on the situation and then everybody's happy. <laughs> I'm yeah, like, I, I, don't that. I wouldn't call it hippie magic dust, but you do have an X factor <laughs> that I got to see in Columbia. Like you were the person that I'd look away for a second and look back and there's four people I've never seen before around you, like in full <laughs> conversation. I'm just like, where's Lindsay? Oh, she's in that group of people. Like what, <laughs> what happened? They're my new best friends, Joey. <laughs> they are. They were too. They thought that exact thing as well. Everybody, uh, somebody told me one time that every, like no one is a stranger. They're just like people you have that I haven't met yet. <laughs> no one is a stranger to me. So I always have that feeling that I really, that we're all somehow connected, you know? And they're either potential friends or family. <laughs> yeah. And, and by family, I mean, by family, I mean, future husband. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you, cause that's so valuable for a tour guide and for someone that does the traveling and the different jobs that you do. Where do you think you got that? Or where do you think you trained it the most to get it to where it is now? You know, I think most of it as weird as this sounds is probably hereditary. (laughs) Not really hereditary, but really passed down for my family because recently, and I didn't realize that until I, I went on this trip to Hawaii a month ago with work, but I was able to take my parents and they've never been to Hawaii. They've never done anything really like that. And they both had time to go and they're both still able to go. So I thought if, if I could just help them get to this paradise, you know, that maybe I could give back to them for all they've given to me. And when we were there, cause they're amazing. My parents are so cool and they have loved me and supported me. And that's probably a big part of why I am even doing what I'm doing because they always were my cheerleaders to say, Lindsay, you just be you, you go for it, you do this, whatever you think, like we will support you hundred percent. And a lot of people I know don't have that. And that's kind of a hurdle for some people because, you know, their parents maybe put them down or think that they need like a, a fancy job with lots of money. And my parents were always just, you know, supporting me doing whatever. But when I took them to Hawaii, what I realized is I would look behind me and my mom would be in this conversation with like a whole family. And then they would be her best friends and she'd be getting their emails and phone numbers. And then (laughs) my dad, I looked at my dad one time, we were standing on this beach and we were like waiting for the sea turtles to come up on the beach. And my dad's standing there and just this like 
a guy came over and just started talking to him. It was just standing there talking to my dad. And then another person was standing over and talked to him and another. And it's so crazy. It was so crazy and cool. Very cool to see that that's a big part of why I am the way I am. And the whole trip, they were just like, oh, Lindsay, we're so proud of you. Like they've never seen me in action as a tour guide. And I don't know if they really thought that I had it in me to to do all that work, but, um, (laughs) the way I guess they, they were just, you know, so, uh, taken back, I guess, by all of the things that I do while I'm on my, while I'm on these trips. And, but at the same time, I was like, oh my goodness, like I get so much of this from you two. And I mean, everybody in, in town that anybody who knows my parents, they're just, they just love them. My parents are like parents to them, you know, um, or friends or grandparents or whatever it is, but they're just really cool people. And I feel like I get a lot of it from them, but also just over the years, the people who've made me feel really welcome in uncomfortable situations or the teachers who have inspired me or yeah, just, just that I watch, I observe a lot. And so I'm constantly watching what works and what doesn't work. And I'm watching and experiencing what makes me feel good and loved and worthy and accepted. And I want to be that for other people. So I think I'm always looking, looking for those opportunities. And I, you know, we were talking about community. I guess we weren't talking about it yet on the podcast, but just how important community is for our survival and to thrive in this world, to have that support group around you or people that you are alike and um, we have similar interests and you do similar things, but you can really encourage each other and support each other. And um, so for me, if I'm going to a new place or a new location or a new country or even coming to Alaska, I didn't know a soul when I started coming to Alaska a few years ago. And the thing that makes me feel at, at like home, and I love for places to feel like home as fast as possible. So that's what I do. I form a community. I form bonds with people um, as fast as I can. <laughs> so I just remember my first time in Alaska, not knowing anybody. And I think actually Devin might've been the first person I met, which makes sense because he's everywhere, you know, and it was like at um, New York cafe or something like that. And he was like, Hey, I'm going to a wine party the other night or it, in a few nights or something like that. If you want to go and meet some people. And I'm like, yes, please. And so I went with him to this party and actually met everybody that I met at that party. I'm still friends with. And, um, one at two of those people actually ended up being roommates for me for two years in a row. So it's, it's just really cool how, how community and how relationships, uh, that's just where I thrive in relationships. So yeah, yeah wherever I go, superpower. <laughs> my superpower. I love it. Yeah. Oh, speaking of superpowers, this ladybug that landed on me in the very, very beginning, I thought was dead. It was sitting here the entire time, <laughs> just like being completely still and did not move. And then just about five seconds ago, when I said, this makes me come alive, the ladybug started moving again. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cool. 
Very symbolic. <laughs> Thank you, Ladybug. <laughs> We're going to have to keep getting updates throughout the podcast on this Ladybug. <laughs> how he's doing, or she. <laughs> Earlier, before we started, we were talking about how important community is and all that. Mm-hmm. And right. I think humans, because they're a social species, I think finding your your people, your tribe of people is incredibly mm-hmm. important. As important as it, really any other input that you can do for your body. Yeah. That has been something that I have to find wherever I go. I have to find my tribe. And even with social media, you know, people have, you can find tribes. You're, you know, if you're interested in, you know, playing the ukulele and different things like that, you can find people who do what you do and do what you love and you connect with those people. But there's nothing quite like in person. So I'm grateful I have a global tribe. I have people all over the world now that I just absolutely love. And wherever I go, you know, I try to go visit these people again. And even Alaska coming back every summer and seeing my tribe in Alaska and coming closer to those people every year is amazing. And it feels like family. And then having a tribe here. And yeah, so I just, there's something about the energy too of being with people that you really care about. You've overcome quite a bit to continue living the life that you can choose. Tell me a bit about your history and your story in terms of overcoming those hurdles. Yeah. Uh, we, you know, a lot of my background, but I, I think it was probably in 2003, I got Lyme disease, which a lot of people, unless you've had Lyme disease or a family member with Lyme disease, most people don't really know how big of a deal it is and um, how much it can just keep you from living a life that you want to live. And it was very difficult because a lot of it deals with like your brain neurologically um, can harm you and you're, of course, physically in your body and um, it can have a lot of different effects on you. So I started dealing with that in 2003, but I moved to Nashville during this time. So I luckily found a few kinesiologists and acupuncture and some natural doctors there that really have helped me on my journey and um, changed my diet. And of course, I do a lot of yoga. So that has really helped. Uh, About 2007, I moved to New Zealand and I worked for a nonprofit in New Zealand. And we traveled around the world and spent a lot of time with nonprofits was our main thing to see how they work, to maybe walk alongside of them and do help doing volunteer work and things like that. And in 2013, so I did this for several years and I'm sorry, it was in 2010 and I spent some time in Thailand and I remember, um, at the very end of that trip, I, it's the weirdest memory because I just remember getting bit by a mosquito in the, and it was during the day and it was on an island. And I really didn't think that much about it then. Of course, why would you? Cause we get bit by mosquitoes all the time, but I got to my next country. We were going to Cambodia. And the moment I stepped foot in the place where we were staying, I was white as a ghost and I was hot, like I'm talking like 105 degree temperature or something like that. And 
uh, everybody's like, okay, Lindsay, why don't you lay down <laughs> and we're going to take care. And I was like the leader of this trip that we were doing. And I mean, it was immediately had to go to the hospital. I found out I had dengue fever and there's really, I think from what research I did back then, there was like two kinds of dengue fever. One was like a 50% chance you'll die. <laughs> The other one was like a hundred percent chance you'll die. <laughs> I know I'm laughing now, but it was really scary because <laughs> I am laying there in bed and I'm like researching this because nobody would tell me anything. And they had an IV going in me and they were checking like my white blood cell count every few hours. And anyways, I was like, okay, I'm either going to die or I might die. <laughs> These are my two. And so I just, you know, even then, even coming close to death, like we've talked about too in the past, it's like, like you were saying before, you become really aware of your mortality. And that is another thing that really, once you are healthy and you realize, hey, I am actually alive, like I've lived through something that could have killed me, you have a new passion for life and you know how valuable like your time on this earth is. And that's just one of the biggest, you can't, you hardly can learn that lesson just by living an everyday life, unless you're close to someone that dies or you come to a near death experience or something like that. And I'm not saying I wish that upon anyone because I do not, but I hope that through some of the stuff that I've learned, I'm able to share that with people and inspire them through some of these things that really almost killed me. So there were other stories too. Um, but those are like the two main hurdles, I would say, physically and um, through just, you know, even yoga and being able to set all my fears and disabilities and um, health and everything to the side, even for an hour and sit on the mat and just do lots of meditation and practicing those positive thoughts and basically shifting the energy from a low frequency, like sick, you know, negative stuck energy to a positive place. And I think that was a huge part of my healing as well. Yeah. So I just haven't stopped and I haven't looked back and I've lived a life of adventure ever since. Tell me about your thoughts on seasonal work and about some of the specific jobs and experiences that created that feeling for you. Okay. Um, yeah, I, you know, I feel like too, as you get older, this is a side note, <laughs> as you get older, and I just turned 40 this year or 2019, it feels like that, that number sounds really old, but hopefully if there were a test that you could do to see how old you feel, <laughs> it's probably more like, 20 something, 22, maybe fresh out of college, the world ahead of me. <laughs> There's something too that is, this is sort of a soapbox, but just this whole aging gracefully thing. I think it's embracing and it's part of at, seasonal work has really taught me that in a lot of ways it, because I work with people from all over the world, all different ages. And the older ones that I meet, you never really know how old they are because they have embraced that um, youthful spirit and or that childlike spirit or whatever you want to call it, where 
you're constantly looking for and seeking out ways to grow and to learn and to, I don't know, shed. I've shed a lot just, you know, because you have to, you can't take all the bags with you when you go, you know, and it's just, it's a matter of not being too attached to things, to material things, or even to people sometimes and living a life of questions and in, you know, just being interested in things and wanting to have even, I think a lot of times people too become really comfortable in their lives. And I've even talked to people here who are like, I don't need to go anywhere. I can watch the movie or the documentary, or I'll just follow your pictures, you know, and that's good enough for them. And I guess that's okay, but that's not the life I want. I want to actually experience things, you know? So I've got off topic now, but you asked me (laughs) uh, something about, you know, when you don't know someone's age. And I think that's a beautiful thing because it's about gracefully aging or gratefully aging maybe and being able to constantly keep that spirit alive inside of you and not just settling for whatever it is, you know, and even in seasonal work, I think a lot of times like that keeps you on your toes and people who want to do it, but don't do it. A lot of times their reasoning is, well, you know, I'm just afraid of the unknown or, you know, I can't because I have all these bills to pay or I have these responsibilities or whatever it is. So I'm constantly trying to encourage people and not push people, you know, by any means, because that might not be the lifestyle for everyone, but for people who want that lifestyle and don't know how to get there, I'm like, I will be your coach (laughs) because I love talking to people and saying, okay, how can we create the space in your life to fill it up with the things that you really do value and the things that are important to you that you really want? And so, yeah, a lot of the jobs that I've had have kind of evolved. I've done jobs that I didn't necessarily love, but they've taught me a lot. So I'd say they built character in me and that's a value of mine constantly to build character and make me, you know, my truest best self. And so I've let those, those jobs be important lessons for me as well. Not to mention in most seasonal work, you meet people from all over the world. So building that community is also a value of mine, just that human community, I guess, that global community. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, I've done everything. You asked me what kind of jobs I've done. I've, I've done tons of stuff in Nashville, even before my seasonal jobs. And I think maybe Joey, it could be called, I don't know if a doctor would have a name for it, but it could be like job ADD or something. If there was like (laughs) (laughs) a name for it, because I'm, I'm kind of that person you, I'm sure you've noticed where I'm like squirrel, you know, like (laughs) I'm like, Oh, it's something shiny, you know? And I've really had to hone in now as I've gotten older, I feel like on the things that really, truly, I feel like are part of who I am and my purpose and the things that I really enjoy and love doing. But I've always followed my heart. So every single thing that I've done, if it didn't align with like my desires, my passions, my heart, I quickly left that gig um, and moved on to something else. Because I'm like, if this aligns with like what I desire in my life, my values, my passions, and I'm growing in this, 
in this job, then yes, I can stay here for until I need to move to the next thing. So another little side note, one (laughs) one of the things that I decided a long time ago, or a few years ago, actually, is that I wanted to get to learn something new every year whether that's a language or an instrument, which those two are still on my list. I haven't quite started there yet. I have my ukulele hanging on the wall, but I'm just waiting to learn it. (laughs) Um, But it's getting certified in things. Like I want to have like this tool belt, I guess, where, you know, if I'm in another country and somebody's like, we need somebody to do this particular job right here. And I'm like, I can do it. (laughs) You know, I just want to be able to do a little bit of everything. And so I've been doing photography for years. I do like I teach yoga and Pilates and things like that, getting certified in emotion code and uh, tour guiding. And I started remodeling houses. And so anything that I'm interested in, I, I like to figure out how to do it. And I want to try to be certified in it. Actually, I didn't have a certification for last year. So I went online and became an ordained minister. <laughs> so I can do weddings now. <laughs> So if you have your wedding, if if you get married anytime in the future, Joey, I can be your photographer, your wedding planner, yoga instructor, and actually be the ordained minister. I'll just have the camera with me back there and get great shots from that angle. <laughs> <laughs> the one-stop shop for all your wedding needs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you got to learn some tailoring so you can make the dresses and the tuxes. Oh, I can then... sew. <laughs> There you go. It's I'm not very good at it, but I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say I was good at all these things. I just said I can do them. <laughs> what are, because a lot of seasonals have at least some trouble financially. What are, right. what have been like what you do and what are some strategies that you would want to pass on to seasonals? I love to travel efficiently and I guess you could say kind of on a budget, but I I travel a lot like you do. I think you, you do it well, but where you do treat yourself, you know, you want to be comfortable, but also you know how to do it most efficiently. I think, um, I would say that's a good way for me. Like I always, I seem to have a credit card debt that's like lingering over my head and I will work, I will like whittle down at it every summer and I'll usually pay it completely off. And then throughout the year, I'll go, you know, and put a flight on it here or something on it there. And it'll usually, it's pretty low, but it kind of stays around the same. It lingers around the same number. I feel like the important thing is to have a mindset of abundance. So, and what I mean by that is I feel like we can easily have a mindset of lack or a mindset of abundance. I've known really wealthy people who had everything and they had a mindset of lack. So they constantly didn't ever feel like they had enough. And that's the energy that it creates. Because of that, I feel like it it creates this this sort of vortex, you know, for um situations to come along where you where it requires you to like use more money and be in more debt and things like that. Now I've had friends who have not a lot of money, money, but yet they live a mindset of abundance. And it's almost like that energy just brings more of what they desire in their life and more opportunities. And that's something that I kind of chose to have a long time ago. So I thought whether or not I have a lot of money or a little bit of money, I'm not going to let that 
affect my decision-making process in following my heart and deciding what I want to do in this life. Because, I mean, if we only have one life, you know, it's just, why, why ever settle? Why ever waste a second of it with doing something that I don't want to be doing? Or spending it with people I don't really want to be with. Um, <clears throat> all my ex-boyfriends. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but um, I, you know, it's like you can and do learn if you allow yourself to from every single situation. But that's sort of been, I would say that's sort of my secret. And then when it comes to actually applying that, I would say where you invest your time and energy and money is that's what will grow. There's ways for people if they feel stuck to get out of those situations, depending on their mentality, um, and move into and shift into more of that life that aligns with their true self or whatever you want to call it. But there's ways to do that, that I think sometimes people need a little coaching or they need to see, and this is why I love the seasonals. I love the podcast, I love the magazine. Is because you are showing people on a grander scale, like how you can actually do this. And that's why you interview people like me who I didn't come from a lot of money, you know, and I, I made it happen. But it was a lot of it was creating space for it to happen. And it was a mindset. And it was a lot of research <laughs> and uh, taking opportunities when you have them. and. You know, I can see how if I had never gone to New Zealand and worked with this nonprofit and traveled around the world, like that prepared me for the tour guiding job. And then that prepared me for other stuff that will have, you know, that will be in the future. And so it all, everything anyone's doing, even right now, even if they feel like they're stuck or they're in a mundane job or whatever it is, and they're trying to move past that to the next level or to that life that they want, like even what they're doing is preparing them for this in a, a weird, kind of twisted way. But yeah, it's, it's sometimes you just got to do it. And if there's fear, like fear is not even, I mean, yeah, we experience it, we feel it, but it's not even really real. Like it can't actually stop you. The only thing really stopping us is ourselves. What's a lesson you learned growing up in Arkansas that helped you working and traveling as an adult? You know, something we get made fun of for a lot that now I'm finding is one of the best things ever that I could have learned is how not to wear shoes. <laughs> Everybody always says people from Arkansas wear overalls and don't have shoes and have missing teeth and stuff like that. It's kind of like an old, you know, haha, you're from Arkansas. Wow, you have all your teeth. But I think just even walking around on the earth, like, <laughs> Now I'm like, I never wear shoes. Like I do not like to wear shoes. I like to connect. And so that's one of the things that I love. But coming also from Arkansas, I, you know, there is something I think too about the South. It's a little bit more slow paced maybe. Um, and coming from a smaller town, everyone here, it, it there is a lot of friendliness. It's kind of like because it's a smaller town, because it's Arkansas in the South, you know, everybody talks to everybody and I'm used to that. So whenever I go places, that's why you turn around and you see me in the midst of five complete strangers, because I'm used to that <laughs> going to the grocery store and 
making friends with 10 people before I leave. (laughs) And I, I love that about the South. I love that about Arkansas and even this town. Um, That's something that's really important to me. Just having that, I don't know. I mean, it's not really relationships, I guess, with people, but also just like creating some sort of connection. Yeah. So if you guys came to visit me, you would have so much fun because you would have, you would know a hundred people before you went home. <laughs> Tell me something about banana slugs. Oh gosh. <laughs> you want me to go there? Well, I told you before, and I post about it on Instagram a lot when I'm in Alaska because, you know, we have eagles and whales and bears and all these fantastic, miraculous animals. And I love them all, but my absolute favorite are the banana slugs. And I think that that's actually one thing that I miss the most. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I just love them. I mean, that's something when I'm, because I, I was, a uh, bus driver my first summer. We didn't really get into that, but I drove a big Greyhound bus that first summer and that helped me get up to Alaska, but it wasn't quite like my cup of tea. But I, I fell in love with these slugs and people don't understand. I'm sure people are like cringing right now, but you don't understand. Like these creatures are incredible. Like they, they have this So they have this slime that's actually a defense mechanism. So if you touch it or you lick it, not that you're going to lick it, but like let's say a bird or something or an animal or one of their predators is after them and they lick them, then their tongue will go numb and they won't eat them. And then it also is like between a liquid and a solid. So apparently there's scientists right now that are researching the slime and they're trying to figure out how to weigh a way to make greenhouse is more effective because if you could create this this material that was like that layer of slime that the banana slugs have then you could figure out a way to like you know keep more 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 uh, moisture in the greenhouses but also protect it from certain things like wind and things like that so that's pretty fascinating and they're um they're really fast and they're faster than a lot of people think they are. (laughs) And they feed on things like, I mean, they eat the trash, they eat poop. They also will eat berries. I feed them uh, salmon berries out of my hand and they'll actually eat them. And they're really, really cool to watch them eat these salmon berries. And actually one time I saw a banana slug on a banana peel. I thought that was kind of funny. (laughs) 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 But um, the sad part about them is that every once in a while they'll eat each other and it's actually a part of their mating process too. And so I won't go into the details, but they, to mate, they need to choose a banana slug of the same size. And if they don't, then something can get stuck. And (laughs) If that happens, then they have to um, eat it and to get free. And so that part is not the most pleasant part of being a banana slug. Other than that, though, they're fascinating creatures and we can learn a lot from them. (laughs) I think even in that, we can learn a bit from them. 
Right. I know. You're right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but they're fascinating creatures. Right. And if you, if anyone out there is interested, um, I have some uh, banana slug YouTube videos and some on my Instagram as well. So you can check those out later. <laughs> What's your YouTube and Instagram handles? Uh, I forgot my YouTube actually, but I could figure that out for you later if you wanted to um, do that. But my Instagram is Little Lens, uh, L-I-T-T-L-E-L-I-N-S. That's my Instagram. So yeah, I've got a lot of banana slug videos on there and it's pretty awesome. (laughs) Honestly, like nature is so fascinating. And I've told you this before, but I really feel like connecting to nature and even just observing uh, the tiniest insects, like this ladybug that I was watching or penguins and, um, or, you know, whales. I've learned so much about whales being in Alaska or eagles and how, you know, they always come back to the same nest and how they mate for life and how they treat their young. And it's just, I, I really believe as human beings, like there's so much to learn from nature and even the grossest creature like a slug. <laughs> now, cockroaches, I'm not so sure about those yet or mosquitoes, but <laughs> I'm sure they have something to teach us. Is there anything else uh, you wanted to talk about that we haven't gone over? Yeah, I think, I mean, I just love to take every opportunity to encourage people. So if there's any way I can do that to anyone out there, even beyond this podcast, I would love to. So please connect with me. You know, one of the things too that this, I just, I love that we're all created so differently and we all have different things about us that make us very unique. And embracing those things is so important. And, um, you know, I'm always inspiring, even with the tours that I do with these kids and saying, like, what are these things that you have in your deepest desires and passions and your gifts and talents um, and even skills that you've developed? Because I know for a fact that everyone has a purpose for living and everyone because we're so unique and we're so different and embracing those things and being able to use them in some way I feel like like don't deny us of you don't deny the rest of the world the gifts that you have because I do believe that everybody has them and you know even I I always thought uh, I was insecure because I had really long arms (laughs) This may sound really silly, but you never knew this, did you? Um, No. I mean, coming from a basketball background, having ridiculously (laughs) long arms is a great thing. Well, that's the thing is like, I've started to realize all the things I could do with my arms. I even Googled jobs for long arm people (laughs) (laughs) just to see what came up. And one of the things was like, five jobs that T-Rexes couldn't do (laughs) because of their short arms. But I would, you know, one of the jobs was like photography and I'm actually a photographer. One of them was yoga and I'm a yoga instructor. 
it said you could take really good selfies. And I always say that I can take really good selfies without a selfie stick because I have long arms. Um, But my favorite thing is that I give really great hugs. I think this whole story really is just to say that everybody has something. You know, sometimes even the things that we're most insecure about are those beautiful, unique qualities about ourselves that could be used for really amazing, great things. And so I'm always wanting to encourage people in that is be your, be your beautiful, unique self, because that's what the world needs. You know, we don't need more people being robots and doing what other people are telling them to do. Like, follow your heart, follow your dreams. And I hope, you know, I know that that's what one of the desires probably of the seasonal magazine and the podcast is just to instill that in others and say, you can do this. Like we're, we will champion you and cheerlead you on because we know how great it is to live the life that we love. I'm so grateful for you, Joey, for my tribe and so thankful. And it's an honor to be on this podcast with you. I really appreciate it. It was an honor having you on. Thank you so much for talking to me. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I know you have a lot of editing work to do now. (laughs) (laughs) Probably the banana slug part. No, we're definitely going to keep that part. (laughs) No, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. That's it. That's the episode. The seasonals are Kelly Mogg, Ryan Deininger, me, Joey Ravinsky. The theme song by Ryan Deininger, Joe Williams, Louis Leva, Chappie, Thomas Hamilton. Follow us on Instagram at the seasonals underscore. Like us on Facebook. Listen to our next episode. That's it. We're out. Yeah.